Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Looking at this text this morning in regards to working out our salvation. Those of you who have uh, seen this before, you would know uh, and be amazed by the work. Uh, when you see a person who takes a block of marble and then begins to carve and sculpture it to see uh, a fascinating sculpture afterwards, you will know a lot of detail goes into it. Uh, there are tools that are used to chip away the, the rock, uh, to smooth the rock, that you start off with this rough, hard, this block, uh, and uh, the end result is something that's beautiful. And uh, it's a wonderful thing that you see a sculpturist do, an artist do in that. And in the same way, God is the divine sculpturer who is working upon the lives of his people and he is chipping away and he's smoothing out in our lives that he's making us more and more holy, more and more like Christ uh, as we await for the day of his return and we are with him forever in a glorified state. As we look at Philippians chapter 2 this morning, the uh, scriptural truth is this is we need God's help to work out our salvation because we cannot accomplish it on our own. We need God's help to work out our salvation because we cannot accomplish it on our own. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18 this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, all, not only as in my presence... But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The word of God. Again, a blessing that we have to have God's words to read and the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. As we look at this text this morning, there is always one of these things that comes to my mind, and I pray that it comes to the mind of all the pastors who stand up and preach from the Word, but when we look at a text like this, um, there is the temptation for the believer to put all that is going on in their life and all the striving after holiness upon ourselves. And that is not at all what the Apostle Paul teaches. This morning, let's look at verses 12 through 13 and this first point being God's sovereignty and our responsibility. If you talk to just about any Christian and you ask them if you believe that God is sovereign, they'll say, yes, I believe that God is in complete control. And then when you begin to talk about this responsibility that man has, sometimes the waters can be muddied. What we want to look at specifically this morning, though, is what Paul addresses here. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. He calls them saints. And he's specifically writing about this word that we have in the, in the Bible called sanctification. 
this process that happens uh, after the moment of justification, after the moment of salvation for the believer, all of the moments of that person's life after salvation to the day that they meet Christ face to face, uh, the day of Christ's return, that time in between is what he writes of. And so we see sanctification here. And what sanctification is, is that it, it refers to holy living for the believer. It actually means to make holy or to set apart. And in holy living, as the believer walks in holiness and, 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 and strives for holy living, um, we display uh, the glory of God and His grace upon our lives. Uh, you uh, may in this time of year see the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly. Um, the last home that we lived in before moving to Montana, we had some plants in the backyard specifically uh, so that it would draw these monarch butterflies that would lay eggs there, and then you would see caterpillars all over the place, and then there would be this transformation, and you would see this uh, chrysalis or whatever it's called in that, and after a, a number of days, we would have the opportunity to actually watch these monarch butterflies that were when it went were as caterpillars to break out of the shell and to see these wings unfold and to see them sit there in the sun and let them dry and then to fly off. It's an amazing transformation to think of this fuzzy caterpillar to see this beautiful, glorious butterfly that God has created. And I was thinking about that this week as I thought about this text because really there's this transformation, a uh, magnificent work of God when He saves His people and then directs us and moves us and sanctifies us until the day that we're with Him in this glorified state. Through sanctification, uh, believers, Christians, saints experience this radical change from the old habits the old attitudes, the desires of our past, uh, they are in a sense shed and replaced by new life in Christ. And in Christ, we can have holy living as Scripture tells us. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, in your heart, uh, every moment, even when you don't feel like I'm growing in holiness. Those moments of ups and downs, just like when you read in the book of Psalms where you see King David praising the Lord and then you see this low moment and he's like, why, O oh Lord? And then it's a moment back to praising him. We have those moments in our life as a Christian. These high moments of, of that, maybe those mountaintop moments of our faith and then there's those moments where we're in the pit and we're struggling and we're saying, Lord, where are you? He's never left us. God works in those moments just as you read the book of James that the trials that God allows or even sends into your life is for your sanctification. It's for your growth in holiness and James says we're to rejoice in that. But how many of us are to say, yes, thank you, Lord, for the trials that you have sent upon my life. Thank you, Lord, for allowing this horrible, tragic thing to happen in my life. We don't see it that way in our humanness, but we are to um, uh, be praising and giving thanks to the Lord for those moments. And that's the challenge 
So if you are in that pit today, if you are in that low moment today, if you are in the midst of that trial or hardship or turmoil, I would remind you that it's allowed or sent to you for the purpose of your sanctification and to the glory of God. So we must praise the Lord for that, as hard as it may be. Look at verses 12 and 13 here in the text. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, you might say, always obeyed? What do you mean? He's already written of these things. We've read this, and so he's, he's, again, he's pointing back to his time with them that he has seen the believers in Philippi obey uh, the Lord and the directions that he's teaching from the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, all, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Remember, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. He's writing to the church. He's reminding of them of what he's already taught them, and he's now encouraging them to continue to walk in the ways uh, that God directs to them. He's told them in chapter 1 that they are to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's told them in chapter 1 that this work that God began in them at salvation, that he will finish it. So again, this sanctification is a good thing. God will finish his work. And then we saw last week this call to live a life that follows the example of Jesus Christ. And we saw Jesus who humbled himself and was obedient to the Father and died on the cross in our place for our sins. And that he did those things um, in obedience to the Father. And his example of humility is this call for all of us to follow as we walk in holiness. And so he says, therefore, look at verse 12, it says, therefore, when you see therefore, he's speaking of what he just wrote of. And so if you go and look back a few verses, you will see what we saw last week, the example of Christ's humility, which Paul said, if you follow that, you will then live a life worthy of the gospel back in chapter one. And it's because this process that God is doing. Therefore, obedience to Jesus is what he said in verse 5, is to have the mind of Christ. I was praying this week, as we looked at that text last week, that you would have the mind of Christ this past week. I don't know what happened in your lives this week. I don't know what you did, where you went. I don't even know what you thought about. But the prayer was that you would have the mind of Christ this past week. And the way we have the mind of Christ is to be in the Word of God so that we would know uh, Christ and what He's done so that that would be set upon our minds. As Paul has written in other places, to set your minds on things above is not just to think about heaven. To set your mind on things above is to think of Christ, the work that he's done, what he is doing now, and what he will do when he returns in the future. And so our prayer is, he says, therefore, this obedience is to have the mind of Christ so that we would live a life worthy of the gospel. In John chapter 14, Jesus, in John chapter 14, says this in verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The helper is the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you 
a wonderful chapter and go and read in that and continue on in chapter 16 and 17 as, as Jesus is praying and he points out that the helper would come is this meaning for the believer being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you so that you can have understanding and you can be obedient to the Father and you can walk in holiness. And Jesus says, if you'll love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But we go, I'm not keeping his commandments. I keep failing. Yes, I love the Lord. Well, that only confirms 1 John in which John writes there. He says that if you obey the Lord, it's proof of your love for him. And yet he still says in that letter that you still battle with sin, just as Paul writes in um, uh, in Romans, and so we have this battle that's going on as the believer. I'm not, we're not looking at the fact of someone who's not a Christian. Someone who's not a Christian has no love for God, has no desire to be obedient to Him or to follow His ways. And my prayer this morning is that as you hear the gospel, if you're here and you're not a believer, that God would open your eyes to the truth of the gospel and you would be saved so that from that moment today on until the rest of the days of your life, that this work that He's writing of would happen in your life for the glory of God. And so look back at verse 12 here. If it were not for God the Father giving you the Holy Spirit at salvation and sealing you by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not leave you. Uh, if the Holy Spirit left you, then you would lose your salvation, which we know in John chapter 10 is not possible because Jesus does not lose his people and Satan cannot take them out of his hand or the Father's. And so we are then in this process of growth, which is promised, and it's a good thing. It says in verse 12, here's the catch. Here's the part where I believe that you and I can struggle with. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Now here's the part. It does not say work for your salvation. Let us be very clear. It says work out your own salvation. This is writing to, he's writing to those who are already saved. And you must not know, you must know that there's no work, there's nothing that you can ever do to save you. You are not saved by any of these things. Responding to an altar call when someone uh, preaches the gospel. You're not saved by responding and walking forward at an altar call. You're not, you don't, you're not saved by raising your hand if you hear someone say, hey, raise your hand if you want to be saved today. You're not saved by those things. You're not saved by taking the connection card in front of you and checking off, I want to follow Jesus. Those things do nothing for you. You're not saved by even words of a prayer. You are saved by the work of Jesus Christ alone. You are saved by his work that he did at the cross and the empty tomb because without it, you and I are tragically lost and would die in our sins and spend eternity in hell and the wrath of God would be upon us forever if it were not for the grace of God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in that. One is saved by that work 
of Christ shedding his blood on the cross that your sins would not only be covered over, but it would be removed. One is saved by the grace of God, that he would show you and I mercy, and that by faith in Christ alone that we'd be saved. It's just even, it's even mercy of God and his grace that when you heard the gospel preached to you, that the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and you're saying, whoa, Lord, you are glorious, you are holy, and I am a sinner. And the scriptures tell me to believe in you, to confess with my mouth that you are Lord, to repent of my sins. And you who are a believer have responded that way because of the work of God, not by any of your work. Because if it was any of your work, according to scripture, um, you would not be saved. Because none of your works are holy and righteous that can get you into heaven, that can save you, that can forgive your sins or make any right way between you and the Lord. For the believer who is saved, when it says to work out your own salvation, there is what we read in Ephesians 2.10 is that God created us to do good works to serve others, to show uh, the love of Christ by using our spiritual gifts within the body of Christ, by giving of our time, our talents, our finances for the glory of God and his ministry here on earth. We are to do those things, and that's part of this working out our own, sal- working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you look back at Philippians chapter 2, If you look back to where we were at last week, it says in verse 6 of chapter 2, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a what? Servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, follow his example. That's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling is what he's pointing to. It says in verse 13 here in our text, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who is it that's working in us, verse 13? Are you sure? What's it say? For it is who? God. Some of you are like, wait, did I say the wrong answer? No, you were right. It is God who works in you, not For it is us who works in us. Do you see the difference? For it is God who works in us. For it is us who works in us. And I believe the trouble for the the Christians is we get stuck here. For it is us who works in us. For it is me who works in I. It says work out my own salvation. And so we get over here and we forget verse 13. For it is God who works in us. And that's a good thing. The hard part is our human nature doesn't like for his God who works in us. We say, yes, but we want, no, I want me who works in me because I want the credit. That's the battle. But you need to be over here for it is God who works in me because if it's me who works in me, then I'm trying to build my own kingdom for my own glory and it's nothing to give glory to God. We need it over here for it is God who works in me and I need him to work in me because I know that I fail every time when I'm over here working on my own salvation by myself by my own power scripture is clear as we read through uh, the New Testament we read about sanctification 
that God is the one who starts, he's the one who finishes, he's the one who works in between, and as we were singing, great is thy faithfulness, he is faithful, and he is the one who is promised and will answer. Philippians 1, 6, look at chapter 1 there, for I'm sure of this, that he who began a good what? Work in you will bring it to what? Completion. He will finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. He's already told us the process. He's already laid it out very clearly that he starts salvation, he brings it to completion, and he does all the work in between. And then you go, well, but wait. He says, work out your own salvation. He said, wait, what about this whole thing about faith and works? And remember when we were in James and what Paul says here. I can tell you this. Scripture fits seamlessly together and there's no contradiction. So we pray, Holy Spirit, help us understand this. Because God's working. I'm told to work. God's working. I'm told to work. How does all this work? Well, you can't work unless the Holy Spirit of God works in you. And that's the answer for these things. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, for this I toil. He was talking about, again, uh, bringing others to maturity in Christ. He says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That focus of he who works in us is where the power comes to live holy lives according to the word of God. Turn to the last book I mean, second to last book of the Bible to Jude may only be one page in your Bible. There's only one chapter, or not even a chapter. It's 20, 25 verses. Uh, again, we say God is in sovereign control of our lives, and we know that according to Scripture, He will not lose us, and He's going to finish it. So here's what it says in verse 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling... I mean, we could stop right there and say, thank you, Lord, and pray and be done. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Do you hear that, church? As Christians, we stumble and fall a lot, don't we? We struggle with obedience to the Lord. There's days where we feel like we're walking in holiness and days that we're not. But it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What a glorious truth. When Jesus Christ came off the mountain transfiguration, and there was a, uh, the disciples that had gathered around a father who had a son who was demon-possessed, and the demon was trying to always kill the son and throw him into the fire or to drown him. And it, Jesus and it has an interaction with his father, and he's like, if you're able. Jesus is like, what do you mean? Of course I'm able. And the guy says, help my unbelief. Help me believe help, because of my unbelief. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless. Do you hear that? Before the presence of his glory with great joy. We were just reading it's a delight of Christ to do this work in us. To the only God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. And so he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in verse 12. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As we fear the Lord, the fear that's described in Scripture is this reverent awe of God that He is awesome, He's mighty and powerful, and yes, He can take my life and He can destroy my soul and obliterate me in a second, but He is a wonderful, glorious, good, holy, just God.
And I revere him and I fall on my face before him and I worship him because he's worthy of that. This is this picture of fear and trembling. And as we seek the word of God and we grow in the wisdom of God and we have this greater fear of God, it causes us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, to grow in holiness and those struggles that we have in life and those things of the past are fewer and they're going away as we become more and more like Christ waiting for the day that our soul is made perfect with no more sin and we have a new glorified body and our soul and our body are joined together and we're with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? He goes on in verse 14 through 16 after laying out this process of sanctification. He says, to live as children of God is what he lays out for us. To live as children of God. He says you live in a dark world, basically, that you need to shine as lights. You need to be obedient. And this, what we read of light here in these verses, it's a very important image or symbol or metaphor used in Scripture that God attributes light to describe His glory, His people. When you read of the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament, when, when people beheld the glory of God at a, at a distance, it's this blinding, shining, glorious light. And we read in Scripture the difference between the dark world that we live in and the light of Christ being shown into the world. And so as we read this, uh, we are to live in Christ, in holy ways, and be the light in the darkness because Christ lives in us. In Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah chapter 60, it says this in verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Why are we reading that text? Because you go back to Abraham, and God declared to Abraham when he said, I'm going to make you a people. He says, you're going to be a light to the world. And what happened was as God raised up the nation of Israel, they were to be a light to all the nations, but they were not. As they were in captivity in Egypt, and God, by his mighty hand, does these wonders, and he brings them out of Egypt by his mighty hand, and he brings them into the wilderness. And as they are in the wilderness, they come to the point of the promised land, and during that time, then they rebel, and they wonder, and then once they go into the promised land, they are living among all of these people who are not followers of Christ, and Time after time after time after time after time after time, Israel failed to be the light to the world. They failed repeatedly. God sent the prophets and said that they would do this, that they would fail. And he pointed to the great light to come as we read in Isaiah, as we read in the prophets, speaking of Jesus Christ, who says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in what? Darkness, but will have the light of what? Life. And so Jesus Christ is the light that shines into the world, 
And Jesus Christ dwells in us, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, so that his people today can shine the light of Christ into the world. The problem, it goes back to God working in us, or I'm going to work in myself. God's going to shine the light of Christ through me by his power and his works, or I'm going to try to shine the light of Christ through my works, and they're going to fail every time, and all it's going to be looking like is something like the darkness of the world. What Paul does here, he gives just a couple examples. Look at verse 14. To live as children of God, to shine as lights in the world, he says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. When God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, they complain, we need water. We're going to die. It's like, wait, God just did all that in Egypt and brought you through the Red Sea and you're complaining about water? And so God gives them water. Oh, we need food. God gives them manna. And then that's not enough. Manna, manna, manna. We're tired of manna. We cooked it every single way possible. Oh, if we could just go back to Egypt when we had the pots full of meat. And God was angered. And he's like, all right, I'm going to give you some meat. I'm going to give you so much meat, you're going to be so sick of it that it's coming out your nose. <laughs> complaining, complaining, disputing on and on. And Paul says, for the believer, no complaining, no disputing. In light of us shining the light of Christ, how well are we with grumbling and complaining and disputing? Are you shining the light of Christ into the world? Or are you a bad-tempered curmudgeon? You're like, what's a curmudgeon? Well, if you look up a curmudgeon, uh, it describes an old man who gets irritated, who complains, who constantly is wanting to uh, argue with other people, and they're annoyed so easily. So are you shining the light of Christ, or are you just some curmudgeon over here? Does the world see the light of Christ in you, or do they see you're complaining, you're arguing among the church, you're disputing, you're like, oh, those curmudgeons over there at that church. Oh, I work with a curmudgeon there at work. You should hear how much they complain. Because the temptation for the believer is for us to fight and for us to complain. I'll tell you this. We are on this side of heaven. We are not perfected. And so there will be a Christian in your life that will let you down. There will be a Christian or Christians who will hurt you. There will be a church, a Christian church that will fail and you will really struggle. And what you will be tempted to do is complain and dispute and fight with them. That's what the temptation is. And for some of you, you're like, well, I don't complain. But you listen to it. And when you listen to it and don't stop the curmudgeon from going off and continuing on, you also partake of that. So there's complaints of everything. Complaints from, from people in the church to the church buildings, the air conditioning, they didn't do my song, they didn't do this, they didn't have my donuts this week, you know, the coffee was this, it was like on and on, they didn't study my book of the Bible, and so we complain, and then as Christians, we don't want to stir up anything, so we just listen to them, we're just like, brother, sister, hold on, time out, because we just all partake in this, and I, this is, this is like daily troubles for Christians, 
It's not something that maybe happens. No, it happens all the time. And that's why he writes of it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Peter writes, and he says in 1 Peter 4, above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I laugh when I read that because it's like, yeah, we're supposed to be hospitable to one another. Some of you are like, I don't have the gift of hospitality. That doesn't give you the excuse you're supposed to be hospitable. But there's the people who are like, they're showing the hospitality to, to you or someone. And then behind the scenes, there's a... Oh, they didn't say thank you. They didn't thank me in front of those people. They didn't tell, hey, put something in the bulletin to thank so-and-so because they did this. But again, we might laugh at these things, but they're real. These ones might seem like little sins, but yet Scripture says all sins equal. Your grumbling and disputing is just as great as when Jesus says don't hate anyone because that's the same level as murder. But yet we categorize these things, so we must take seriously, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Verse 15, he says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Does the world see your life as a follower of Christ, as one of integrity before the Lord? Do they see you, and they're like so joyful to see you because they see the joy of the Lord in you? The, the problem is most who live in darkness don't want to see any of us who are in Christ because they hate the light. And so the light of Christ shining into their life uh, is a great problem for them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of righteousness is like the dawn, light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. This week, uh, one of the mornings, I went out um, uh, early in the morning before sunset and went out to the river and was just like, Lord, bring the water flow down. It's too muddy and it's too up too high. But as I sat there waiting and looking for fish, the sun had not risen yet. But in the light of the dawn, as it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter to that point where you begin to see that orange glow where you see the sun's going to come out and that sun comes out in glory is this picture here it says but the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day that as you are being sanctified and you are walking in the ways of the Lord, it's like this growing sunlight to this day of glory with God. And that is what the world sees. And they either run and are in fear of that because light exposes darkness. And when you share Christ, it points to other people and they see their sinfulness. They need to know that they are sinners before a holy God. So that they would see that the cross of Christ is the only work that can be done. That they would be saved. And that the Holy Spirit would strike their heart. And that they would declare that they are a sinner. And they would repent. And they would confess Jesus as Lord. That's what we are to pray that the Lord would continue to do. Verse 16, it says, Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, church, hold fast to the word of God Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You need to spend and devote your time to the word of God that it would shine the light of life before you as you walk in him. And when it says the word of life, when you see there in verse 16, it means specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, simplest 
form, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus Christ died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried and on the third day rose again according to Scriptures. And Ephesians says that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. And therefore we uh, see and uh, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we believe because we're given the gift of faith and we're saved by the work of Christ. The day of judgment is coming. The day of Christ is coming. And because of that, all who die in their sins will be cast in hell for eternity and they face the judgment seat of Christ. All who are in Christ don't face judgment, but we will give an account to how we stewarded what God gave us to steward. Not so that we're let into the kingdom, because in Christ we're already in the kingdom now. But we await the day that when he returns and we stand before him, that we will give account and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The day of Christ is coming. And so if you look at these last two verses here, or actually look at verse 16, he says, that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 that this walking in Christ is like a race. And so as you're running this race on this side of heaven, this is the description. He says, I want to end my life and stand before Christ and know that I did not live in vain. I did not run in vain is what he says. He said, I don't want to labor in vain in the sense of preaching the gospel and teaching the word of God that the, the saints in Christ, um, that they would be seen that he's a faithful preacher of the word of God. He speaks of this diligence here. This last, this last week, I realized that ants are very diligent. If you've ever had carpenter ants, you know what I'm speaking of. Because this week, we discovered some carpenter ants in a shed right next to our house. And so I took off the one panel. And I'm like, oh, there's a few. So we got rid of the carpenter ants. The next morning, before I came here to the office, I went to go check on the ant problem. And I'm like, there's no ants there. But I felt bad because I saw some sawdust and, and there was, I'm like, ah. So I pulled this panel off and ants begun to rain down like the rain this week. And there's a huge header above a window that literally is like pieces of paper. And there are ants everywhere and they're chewing everything. And I was like, Grab the shop vac, grab the spray. I'm yelling, family, come, everyone help. And it's great when you have a lot of kids because it's like, hey, you can all stomp on ants and you can help with all these things. But as I began through, for three and a half hours to pull off another big panel and to see ants and to pull off another one, another one, I was amazed later at God's creation of ants. And you're like, and you killed them. So I'm sorry. Um, I didn't think about that until right now. <laughs> um, but they're diligent workers because all in the bottom is where all their dead ants had died and they'd take them down to the bottom there was another section that had all these winged ants and you see all this section where they're eating all the wood and then I thought I was done and I turn and I go that doesn't look right pull off these two panels and it's like all the babies all the babies are in this huge section, and each one has an ant carrying them. And I was like, this is amazing. When you read when it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Be diligent like the ant. 
And so this is what Paul says, that as you live for the glory of God on this side of heaven, you're to be just as diligent. You are to be at work, working out your salvation and know that that happens by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we go to the Word of God, we go to prayer, and we say, Holy Spirit, fill me up today and help me because my works will fail today. And we have a faithful God who answers that prayer And he brings you through the dark moments, the troubling moments, the hard moments, the attacks on your life. And he brings you to the day that you will see him face to face. The last two verses, this last part, rejoicing and suffering, just shortly it says, Even I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We've already seen this in the first two chapters to this point. We will see it again before we finish the book of Philippians. But when he says that he's being poured out like a drink offering, you can go back and read as I was listening in in Numbers and, and Leviticus this week when I was listening to Scripture being read that there are places where the offerings that are to be given, these animal sacrifices, it would also say, give this drink offering, this wine to be poured out on it. And these things were pleasing to the Lord God. And so as he is in prison, as he is suffering hardships, as he has suffered, he rejoices in the suffering because he's not running or laboring in vain. And it's for the benefit of the people of God that they would grow in Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so he urges the believers then, and he urges you as believers now, to follow Jesus Christ, to stand in your faith firm for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to know that any of your works will fail apart from the Holy Spirit in you. Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you've given us your word so we can have understanding. Thank you for teaching us this morning that our works are nothing unless the Holy Spirit empowers them where you are glorified. Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need for life, for godliness, in your word, through your Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we are awaiting the return of your Son. Jesus, we long for the day that we will be with you in your presence face to face for eternity. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. And at the same time, as we wait, we pray that we would be found faithful. We ask that you would give us the ability to walk in the right manner. Father, help us if we are grumbling, if we are disputing, if we are uh, battling with the old habits, the old ways, the, 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 the things that are of the darkness of the world, we we pray and ask that you would have mercy upon us, uh, that you would um, give us the assistance, uh, that you would uh, um, work in us in such a way that um, you receive all the glory. 
and the benefit for us is growing in holiness. Father, we love you. We desire to obey you. And so we ask that you would make us obedient to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.